often we rely solely or primarily on conventional medicine to treat symptoms and disease. But these can mask the problems, so we never get to the root cause of the disease. There are better choices. Welcome to Generation Regeneration with your host, Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does play an important role in effective treatment, but even more important are the daily lifestyle, food, and spiritual choices we make. Now, here is Sandra Guy Malhotra. Welcome, everyone, to Generation Regeneration Holistic Radio. It's star date 94246.9. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, also the publisher of Regenerate Magazine that you can check out at regeneratemagazine.com. We're so happy that you joined us today. I want to provide information and inspiration on this show and in the magazine that will help you make daily choices that regenerate all aspects of your life. And one very important aspect is our work our career. And today, our guest is Dr. Tracy Weiland. She's a prominent thought leader and speaker on the impact of technology on society, work, and careers. A former visiting scholar at Stanford University, she's held leadership positions at Apple, HP, and Cisco Systems. She was an adjunct professor for Bay Area colleges teaching classes in business, technology, and women's workforce topics. Dr. Weiland was named San Francisco Woman of the Year and honored by the San Francisco Business Times as the most influential woman in Bay Area business. Dr. Weiland has also authored 11 books, including her most recent book, Employed for Life, 21st Century Career Trends. Also, Women Lead, Career Perspectives from Workplace Leaders, and Society 3.0, How Technology is Reshaping Education, Work, and Society. Dr. Weiland is a global speaker on the impact of technology on work, careers, and women's leadership, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You can learn more at tracywyland.com. That's T-R-A-C-E-Y-W-I-L-E-N.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tracy. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me, Sandra. I really appreciate it. You are very welcome. Now... Let's get started with your career journey. I love how you say, when doors close, windows open. That's a really great way to put it. How did you find the open windows and build a really successful career? You know, I, I think that my career is very much like what people, young people are experiencing today. Um, it was not the, the traditional vertical path that so many people had in the past where you you know, went to school, you got a liberal arts degree, went to college, you know, and then you got a, your job and you stayed with the firm for a very long time and the firm took over your career. But rather for me, you know, I got out of school and took a long time to get a job and then um, actually went through, I think, three layoffs during my whole career in the corporate world and each time saw that as that door closed, that opened up a new window for me, and it usually was some sort of career opportunity and, and where I ended up in a better spot. So I think, you know, the career is very much what young people experience today, a lot of twists and turns, and always looking for the next step. Mm. So how did you handle your first layoff, for example? How, yes, how did that well. go for you? Did you have, yeah. <laughs> not well. I was, uh, I was actually... Um, I think I was like 21 or 22, and um, I was working in New York, actually, in the magazine industry, and the mag- one of the magazines I was in sales um, actually shut down, and so the entire magazine just, you know, wow. had to let everybody go, and I remember just wandering around the streets of Manhattan, totally confused about, you know, how I was going to afford my apartment 
how I was going to get another job, um, you know, what do I do about unemployment? Um, and, you know, I just didn't handle it very well. It took me a while to really build up the confidence, and I think that's something that happens with a lot of people. As you get laid off, you take it personally, yes. even though it's an economic event. So that one was tough, but that one helped me learn how to deal with layoffs and transitions, how to read the signals, how to watch for it, how to prepare for it, keeping your resume you know, keeping your skills up to date and always realize that a transition can actually happen at any time. And so we need to be prepared for that. Absolutely. And I think that's a great segue into something that you talk quite a bit about, which is a career selfie. So I think that's doing that as part of managing your career and managing your destiny. So can you talk to us about what exactly that is and why it's important? Sure. So it's actually about two years ago, uh, Google uh, published a statistic that we were taking 93 million selfies per day on our Android phones, right? So that isn't even taking into consideration the iPhone. Right. And I was shocked. I just couldn't believe that, you know, people were taking that many pictures of themselves. So I went out to look for a statistic, a similar one, on how much time people were spending focusing on, on their careers. And I couldn't find a statistic, and I kept looking and looking. And then finally I found one, that college students who were out of school for a year, still unemployed, were spending on average about an hour and a half a year on their personal career planning and job hunting, Ooh. and compared to like 2,800 hours of sleeping. And, and then it was really intrigued because I realized they're spending all the time taking pictures and they're not looking for jobs. But then I said, but what about adults? Where are adults spending their time? And I couldn't find anything on adults and careers, but rather adults were spending their time buying cars, planning weddings, buying houses, you know, watching sports, doing sports, leisure activities, but anything but spending time in their careers. And when you think about it today, we're living so much longer. I mean, really, there's people living to over 100 today. Yes. which means that you're going to be really working much longer than you did in the past. And so I said, isn't it time for a career selfie? Shouldn't we start focusing on our careers? Because we really are needing to take, you know, look at ourselves as a product, as a, you know, someone that needs to generate revenue so that we can actually retire and have good lives. That's right. Yes, I, I like this because it's taking charge of your career. And what we talk about on this show a lot is taking charge of your health, not letting something like your health happen to you, but being proactive about it. And so the career selfie sounds like a very similar thing for another very important part of life, which is our work. So can you get into the different aspects of a career selfie? What does it actually involve? Yeah, so, well, first I'll just give you a sort of, since you mentioned the health, is that I actually went out in part of my research and interviewed over 200 leaders and asked them, you know, what does it mean to you if you're going to live to 100? Because this is, mm. this is reality today. And a lot of them were shocked at the thought that they could live to 100. But then they sat back and said to me, well, Tracy, if I'm going to live to 100, I have to afford to live to 100. Yes. And if I'm going to afford to live to 100, that means I'm probably going to work, sadly, many said, until they're 80, which means that they have to stay healthy enough to be able yes. to work till 80. That's a great educated point. Educated enough, technical enough, and, you know, skilled enough. And I think, you know, the sheer recognition of this could be in their lives 
really help, you know, them say, okay, what do I do? And that's where the career selfie just comes in is, you know, what are, what are the things that you need to, to plan so that you could actually live to 100 plus, likely work until you're 80 in some capacity, not necessarily at work. So I gave them a story, which is a very easy one, is that I met a, a man years ago, and he was 39, and he was president, CEO of a publicly run firm. Now, today, that's the norm, right? You can be very young, with, particularly where I live in Silicon Valley. We have 20-year-olds running firms. But at that time, it was very unusual. And so I said to him, how is it that you could be a CEO of a very large firm, public firm, at age 39? And he reached into his wallet. And he pulled up this crumpled piece of paper. It looked like an origami, unfolded it, and it had lots of squiggles and pictures on it. And he said, Tracy, the way that you get to this is you write it down. He said, you take your goals, you write them down, whether it's health goals, you know, spiritual goals, career goals, but you write it down because then all your energy moves in that direction. And what's different about today is that we don't have work and home anymore. It's all integrated. And so it's even more important that we write down all of these goals and figure out how we're going to time them and get there and really take a look and focus at ourselves. Yes. Okay. So really clarifying where it is we want to go, not just letting events happen to us, but figuring out how to be the master of our destiny and putting a timeline behind that even. Uh, you also mentioned developing your personal brand. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, both as, as a corporate person and an entrepreneur, it's important now that, the, you know, that we each have a brand and we have a positive brand because that's how the world really interprets us. So let me just take on the corporate side. It used yeah. to be that making your manager look good was the way to get promoted. But companies realize today that the employees are really the face of the firm, the brand of the firm. So, for example, when you go into a coffee shop, the first person you meet is the person who's taking your drink order. If you're on yes. an airplane, the first play- person that you meet is the ticket agent or the flight attendant. Or if you walk into a hotel, the first person that you meet is the concierge or the bellboy or bell girl? So your perception of that firm is made on your interaction with that individual. So companies are realizing that, yeah, in the past we used to tell employees, make your manager look good. Now they're saying, have a positive personal brand. And it's the same thing as an entrepreneur. If you're building a business, you know, how do you position yourself in your social media? You know, wh- why are you walking the talk of your expertise? And that's how people are going to really register you and remember you. And so personal brand has become quite important today. Yes, even for people in corporate America. I think that's, that's your point because a lot of folks may associate having to put energy into developing a brand for just the entrepreneurial types who are, who are building their own business. But it's also important for everyone, correct? Oh, it is. In fact, I say, you know, to, and some companies are even doing this, you know, I walk around the room and say, if you have a director title or a vice president title, if you didn't have that title, would people follow you, right? Because that's really the, mm. the epitome of what a leader is, is that people want to follow you. It's not the title. Or if you're an employee and you're on a team, if I could vote you on the team or off the team, and some companies are doing this today, would you be voted on or off? 
right? Because, you know, how are you displaying your brand? How are you getting along with people? How do I actually think of you? And is it someone that I would want to work for or someone that I would want on my team? So it is very important because, let's face it, most of the work today is done through people and on teams, unlike maybe in the past where it was all about the individual star Today, it's about really bringing the team together as a star team. Yes. Okay. And you're talking about corporate life here, working on teams. A big part of that is politics, work politics, office politics. Uh, What's the best way to manage that to thrive and most importantly, not lose your job over it? I know. And so this topic has come up quite a bit because we're in an election cycle, an election year. And, you know, you can see that people are very energized by the whole 2016 presidential election. You just can't get away from it. I hear people talking about it on buses and subways and, more importantly, at work. And I think that people have to remember that the last election was just as energetic and people yeah. talk about it, but I really don't want people to lose their job over their political position or, you know, what, what, they, what their preferences are. And so I give people, you know, advice about, you know, this is an exciting political year, but uh, respect the golden rule when it comes to politics, religion, and sex. We don't talk about those things at work, although it naturally comes up. Because you just don't know if you're going to offend someone or if you're going to put yourself in a position where you may be alienated from an individual who thinks different from you. Yes, that's probably really great advice because it seems like this cycle, it just seems a bit more polarized than one's past. And so you may just want to steer clear of that if you're if you're trying to keep a lot of work relationships in place where people may not think the same way you do about politics. So that's just great advice. Well, exactly. And, you know, and you can't escape it. In fact, I talk to a lot of corporate leaders to say, can you ban, you know, political discussions from, from work and election? They said, no, not really. It's First Amendment. But a lot of them are coaching their managers and their leadership mm. teams to really help mediate if, if there's a heated discussion. But one thing that I just encourage people to do is, you know, Listen and ask people about their perspective because we, we are in a very diverse world now. We're in a very diverse workforce. And the yeah. best thing that we can really do is ask people, tell me about, you know, why you like this particular candidate or what are mm-hmm. the policies that really uh, energize you about this candidate so I can better understand um, because I might learn something because that person may have had a totally different background than I have. And so I think it's always good to do active listening. Just keep asking questions because people love to talk about themselves and their, you know, things that they get excited about. Yes. So what do you think about people airing their political views on social media also? Because I know uh, I, I spend some time on LinkedIn and there's getting to be a lot of political discourse on there, too. And it's interesting because a lot of people weigh in and say, let's put this over on Facebook. This shouldn't be here. And then other people say, well, politics are part of our life, so it's appropriate to be here. What do you think about that? So LinkedIn to me is a professional, what we used to call the Rolodex. It's a digital, you know, contact management database today of professionals. This is the place where recruiters have predominantly gone to find work candidates. Um, So I think this is where the personal brand really comes into play. It is a professional database. Uh, perhaps they're trying to make it more, more personal, 
But that's where the recruiters go. So what I would encourage people is to think about your personal brand. And if um, a company, you know, may not agree with, you know, the your political point of view. Is that how you want to be remembered and hired or, more importantly, not hired on? You know, is that how you're going to position yourself? So it's all about being professional. Um, you know, social media, I have asked companies about it, you know, what do you do when employees are airing their opinions on social media? And some of them say, you know, we just let it go. But others have said no because it impacts our brand. And mm-hmm. we want to be known as a neutral company that is accepting of everyone and that, you know, we want to make sure that people are not being very abrupt and hostile on the social media. So it is, it is an area. It's, it's a very new area for a lot of people. But I would say always think about after the election. You're going yes. to have a president. It may be the one or not the one that you wanted. But at the end of the day, you still need to be employed. Because remember, you're living to 100, and I want to make sure that you stay employed. So make sure that you think about things before you take action on them. Okay, that is wonderful, wonderful advice, Tracy. Thank you so much for that. And let's get ready to go to our break. But before we go, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's show. Colorado's top-rated Front Range Community College offers a unique opportunity to be trained for professional employment in the exciting and emerging fields of holistic health and integrative medicine. You can earn a transferable associate's degree or up to five certificates in the specialized fields of integrative health and wellness coaching, aromatherapy, massage therapy, reflexology, and yoga teacher training. These are all certified with state and national approval credentials and professional membership affiliations. Click on the purple Front Range Community College banner on the Generation Regeneration homepage right here at voiceamerica.com to learn more. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us today. We will be back on the other side of this break with more great advice from Dr. Tracy Weiland. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Introducing the Abundance Cubed Coaching Program on Gen R Holistic Radio. Wellness entrepreneurs who integrate the best of modern and holistic approaches will fix our broken food and healthcare systems. So host Sandra Maholtra and creator of masterpieces Noam Kostuki are going to empower them to do just that. We will help five entrepreneurs grow and unlearn limiting beliefs during this program. You too can learn alongside them by turning into Gen R Holistic Radio the first Tuesday of each month. Join us for an adventure in expansion. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that'll help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss 
Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and I'm here today with Dr. Tracy Weiland, a prominent thought leader and speaker on the impact of technology on society, work, and careers, and also the author of over 11 books, including her most recent one, Employed for Life, 21st Century Career Trends. So Tracy gave us some really great tips in the first segment about navigating your career path, taking a career your career selfie, taking an ownership role with regards to your career and good choices that you can make to flourish. And one thing I'd like you to ask you about now, Tracy, is what we can take from the amazing athletes who make it to the Olympics and also earn medals there. Their journeys are really incredible testaments to the power of the mind and the power of hard work. And there's certainly a lot we can learn from them. So what are the main lessons you think that we can take from Olympic caliber athletes? Oh, I know. We have so much that we can learn from the Olympics. That You know, I get so energized, not just watching it, but I actually love reading the stories behind the athletes and how, you know, how do they come to be? Because in our minds, you know, I think we kind of just put them up on a pedestal and say, ah, they were born this way and... You know, they're just born winners. Um, and, you know, as I read the stories, most of them are not born winners. A lot of them have really taken um, a path, maybe an interest, and then have gotten, you know, really focused on creating success for themselves. So the first thing that, you know, I find is what many of the people who they interview in the Olympics, the athletes, they fail. And they will tell you that through failure, that's how they've created success. And without failing, whether it's an injury or losing a race or, you know, something happens that they, they don't learn something. And, you know, through that failure, they do learn so that the next time they can have success. And that's yes. something I think that all of us can take away is that, you know, we're, we, like them, are not born stars. We will fumble and, you know, go through a lot of things in our lives and we will learn from that. So I think that's, that's the first thing. The, yes. You know, the second thing is, um, you know, you're not going to get the gold in everything. And, um, you know, someone had asked me, you know, we live in a society today where young generation expects to get awards and, and medals for everything, you know. And I said, you know, the Olympics is a really good example because you don't, you know. Yes. It's so competitive. Right. You know, there's going to be, you know, one gold and one silver <laughs> and one bronze. Um, and so I think that, you know, we have to learn that we have a lot of capabilities um, and that we're not all going to be that gold medal winner, but we certainly have a lot of capabilities. I give it an analogy that each of us are really dealt a hand, you know, like, like yes. in poker. And it's us to figure out our aces and our jokers, our low cards and our high cards, and we need to learn to play our cards very well. Yes. Yes, those are great examples. And the one story which I really love is Michael Phelps. 
story because when you learn about what drove him into the pool, it wasn't because anyone identified him as possibly being a gifted swimmer. It was because he had ADHD and was really challenged with that as a child and having some troubles in school. And he found the pool as a refuge. And from that, realized after a lot of hard work that, wow, he, he really can do this. And so this, this, uh, there are, are many, many amazing stories like that. But uh, he's, he's a great example of it. Um, you also have written more about this. And I like some other points that you make about what we can learn about from the Olympic athletes. And one of them, I think that's big, is they hold themselves accountable accountability is a big one when it comes to success. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, yes, of course. And so, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, they're just gifted, talented people. And, you know, these Olympic athletes really, when you read how much they work, right, so, you know, they many of them said they either work seven days a week or six days a week at their practice, which is eight or more hours per day. Many have described, like the Michael Phelps, that they get up in the dark, they smell like chlorine all day, <laughs> they get in the pool and it's freezing, or they don't feel good one day, but they still do it every single day. And I think that a lot of us forget that it's hard work and you know, focus and accountability is really what sets people apart from people who achieve, from people who don't achieve. I think the second thing that they talk about a lot is visualization, and I think that's important for all of us. You know, for someone like yourself who's a health expert, you know, visualizing yourself as, you know, healthy or visualizing yourself being 10 pounds lighter, you know, visualizing yourself, you know, getting that gold medal is all part of, you know, creating momentum and accountability and focus for ourselves. And I think that, you know, a lot of this is all about also setting goals. Um, Just like that CEO set goals for himself and saying, I want to be a CEO by age 39. These Olympic athletes said, I want to make a goal. If I don't get at this Olympics, I'm going to come back. And a lot of them come back and come back again because they want to win it. And what, what can I do? How do I reset and what are the goals that I need to do or what do I need to do differently so that I can get there? Another area that I think is so important that the Olympics, because we have some new sports in the Olympics, just like we have new practices in the workforce, and that's yes. all about teams. So in the Olympics, we have volleyball teams, we had gymnastic teams, we had basketball teams, both men and women. And, you know, in the past in the workforce, it used to be the individual contributor who was the star. You know, sometimes firms would even just bonus that one person who mm. just saved the day, you know, put the fire out. And today companies are realizing it's too complex. You need to have very strong teams. And it's the same thing with the Olympics. You'll notice that these are high-performing teams, not only high-performing individuals, but high-performing teams. And the other aspect is that they're very coachable. Yes. So many of these teams, as you listen to the women and men talk about it, is that they really look to the coach, whether it's the um, gymnastic coach, you know, and how she helped that women's group, you know, to the finish line, or the basketball coach and how he keeps, you know, people in check and keeps them going and encouraging, um, that we have to remember that, you know, we can, ha- we can be coached, we can learn from each other, 
Um, and I call it having your personal board of advisors. Remember that we can't know it all today as an individual. We need to go out, seek out experts, and be open to these coachable moments and having people advise us in different areas. Yes, I really like the point that you made about being coachable because quite often people associate coaches with just athletes. But one thing that I've gained a great appreciation for over the past number of months by interviewing people for the show is the value of even life and career coaches, uh, especially finding someone who's very gifted and drawn to that field, who wants to help you uncover your masterpiece, um, deal with your own fears and insecurities. Those can be really wonderful things. And I know I've been helped immensely working with coaches. And I am not an athlete by any means, but uh, just someone on the outside who has challenged me to expand my boundaries it's really been amazing. And so coaching is something that's actually open for all of us. Um, oh, I would agree with you. Most of the leaders who I interview have always referred to that it's all about people today. You know, we're in a people world, we're in a people business, and we need to realize that people have expertise, wisdom that we can all benefit from. And many will refer to their success was built on things that they had either learned or witnessed by observing other role models. And I think yes. that's important that we can't, we can't be afraid to ask for help. And we certainly have a lot to learn from, from people who have been down a path, both older and younger. And I have uh, mentors who are both younger than myself, mentors who are in the same age bracket as myself, mm. and mentors who are older than myself. And I think it really helps people really broaden, broaden their opportunities by keeping connected and constantly learning. Yes. So, yeah, let's talk about mentors for a moment more. How did you find yours in particular? How did you develop your team of mentors? Yeah, so I, you know, and I had talked to a lot of women about this, um, particularly when I was doing my research on, on women in leadership, and they said that it, mentorship has really changed. In the past, when you worked for one firm, you used to rely on your manager to be your mentor, and that person would help you through or you would, you know, go to HR and ask them for, you know, a mentor to help match you through the system. Yes. Today it's completely different. Uh, you don't know if person, you don't know if the firm's going to last. You don't know if the individual <laughs> that you're working for is going to last. And so <laughs> most women have said, yes, that you have to create this personal uh, board of advisors, which I think is very good. I call them go-to people. Find experts in things that you want to know about. And they may be inside the firm or outside the firm. So finance, you know, I have um, a colleague of mine, actually it's, it's a family member who is exceptional in finance. And so I go to him for financial advice. But mm -hmm. I have a different friend who is exceptional in technology, and I go to her for technology advice. Right? I go to different peoples. And, and how do you find mentors? You know, you cross paths. You cross paths. You, you find synergies with it. You find it mutual respect for each other skill sets and wisdom, and it isn't like you have to, um, you know, talk to them every day. It's people that you can go to and say, you know, you're really good at this. Could you give me a piece of advice? And it might be a five-minute phone call. I encourage people to have informational phone calls. They're wonderful. They're people, it's basically a 20-minute or 15-minute phone call with someone who is doing something that you'd like to learn about. It doesn't mm. take too much time. People are usually very flattered if you ask them, 
you know, for a piece of advice. And then, you know, let it, don't weigh on them and become a burden to them, but rather take their wisdom and thank them for it and try to reciprocate in some way because at some point they may need your help in something that, that they don't know so well. It's interesting also that you said you have mentors both senior to you, uh, around the same level as you, and also younger. So we're going to start talking about Gen Z in just a moment. But as far as having someone on your team who is younger, what do you find folks that are younger than you bring to the table that's special? Well, first off, the younger generation certainly has much more wisdom about technology, the modern uh, applications of technology. And so when people say to me, hey, Tracy, you know, I can't get on board with technology. How do you do it? And I say, always ask a young person. <laughs> you know, they'll be very fast to help you with your computers, your mobile devices, the latest app, um, and much faster than if you took a class. Um, so I think that's something they, they bring immediately to the table. They also bring a fresh perspective. Uh, you have to remember that a lot of our younger generation does not o- does not understand role differentiation like the past generations. They don't understand gender concepts. They don't understand diversity in terms that uh, the past generation. So they don't see the world in the same lens. And that came out in one of my research studies where actually I was measuring men and women, both entrepreneurs and in the workforce, executive level, on the perspectives of men and women in leadership. And what I found is that women overwhelmingly had measured and rated women highest, <clears throat> excuse me, in all leadership attributes, characteristics, and skills. And it was very interesting to me because regardless of, of age, they just rated women highest. So mm-hmm. then I looked at the men, and I said, well, if the men rate men highest, I have to throw the study out. But they didn't. <laughs> The men didn't rate men highest. In fact, I had a mixed, um, you know, feedback, both men and women. So I dissected the study in a different way. I looked at age. And what I found is that our younger generation, which is Gen X and Gen Y, which is currently in the workforce, didn't see any gender. They didn't have a gender lens. It was the boomer Mm -hmm. men, which makes sense, because they grew up in families where only the father worked and not the mother worked for a lot of them. So they saw, they saw women in a different way. But what's more fascinating is that the younger generation just didn't even have a concept of gender at all. They didn't have the same concept. So I think it's important to remember that we can learn so much from the younger generation as long as we don't get stuck in our own unconscious bias, you know, our unconscious bias of how things are supposed to be. Mm, wow. Okay. That's a really great point because quite often coming from the corporate world, you're conditioned to think that your mentor is naturally going to be someone who's senior to you and higher on the corporate ladder than you. But really in developing your own personal team, it should be a mix of a lot of different perspectives and skill sets, just like you said. Yes. So actually, on my teams, I've had at least three or four generations uh, on the team, each one bringing something different. Many yeah. companies today are doing reverse mentoring where they actually uh-huh. pair up younger generation and older generations for different reasons. Yeah. Um, someone more seasoned to help groom a young person and a young person to help uh, more seasoned people understand some of the newer yes. philosophies, technologies, and concepts. And, um, and a lot of people are really learn a lot and are really benefiting from this kind of pairing. 
Yes. Okay. That's a really wonderful point. And it gives us a segue into what we're going to talk about in the next segment, which is the next up and coming generation, which is Generation Z. So, but before we get there, we have to take a quick break. And I'd like to give a big thank you to our sponsor for today's show. Colorado's top range, top rated front range community college offers a unique opportunity to be trained for professional employment in the exciting and emerging fields of holistic health and integrative medicine. You can earn a transferable associate's degree or up to five certificates in the specialized fields of integrative health and wellness coaching, aromatherapy, massage therapy, reflexology, and yoga teacher training. Click on the purple Front Range Community College banner on the GenR homepage right here at voiceamerica.com to learn more. And thank you again, everyone, for joining us today. I really appreciate that you stopped by, and we're talking to Dr. Tracy Weiland. And on the other side of the break, we're going to start talking about Generation Z. Thanks so much, and see you in a few. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Introducing the Abundance Cubed Coaching Program on Gen R Holistic Radio. Wellness entrepreneurs who integrate the best of modern and holistic approaches will fix our broken food and healthcare systems. So host Sandra Maholtra and creator of masterpieces Noam Kostuki are going to empower them to do just that. We will help five entrepreneurs grow and unlearn limiting beliefs during this program. You too can learn alongside them by turning into Gen R Holistic Radio the first Tuesday of each month. Join us for an adventure in expansion. GMOs or genetically modified organisms are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. 
Welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and I'm here with Dr. Tracy Weiland, a prominent thought leader and speaker on the impact of technology on society, work, and careers. She's also authored 11 books, including her most recent one, Employed for Life, 21st Century Career Trends. And in the previous couple segments, Tracy was giving us tremendous advice about empowering your career and at the end of the last one she started talking about how she has incorporated on her personal team of advisors folks that are in younger generations for their valuable perspectives and so now I'd like to ask you Tracy more about Generation Z so I'm a member of Generation X and I think we're we've all been working now for many years with millennials and getting to know that generation. So can you talk to us about Generation Z and what we can expect from them as they enter the workforce? What's different about the way they look at the world? Oh, sure. So Generation Z, you know, the age for that is about people who are born 1995 or younger. Just think about someone today is about age 20 or or younger than that. Um, A lot of them are in high school. Many are in college. Some are working and some are even voting. Um, and researchers, you know, they study generations to look at a large set of trends that impact. So, you know, I tell people don't get so hung up on the birth years. It's more of they're looking at what kind of trends are impacting that may change their way that they live their lives, their perspectives about work, about leadership, about, you know, a number of things. Um, so when we look at Gen Z, you know, some of the characteristics about them is they've grown up with mixed families, multiculturalism. In fact, over 50% have hybrid backgrounds. They've grown up with Iraq, you know, the concept of, you know, terrorism, cyber attacks, cyclical recession, privacy concerns, you know, immersive technology. And so a lot of these factors that they grow up with are projected to shape the way that they may look at how they pursue, whether it's education or their careers or, you know, just what they want to do in their lives. Mm-hmm. So how would you say they're different from the millennial generation? So, you know, they are young, right? So generations yeah. will evolve. But for now, what a, what a lot of researchers are seeing is that this generation is very self-directed. And I think a lot of that has to do with they have seen their parents in and out of jobs, in and Mm -hmm. out of recessionary layoffs, but they've also observed their millennial older siblings unable to get a job, going to college, doing the right things, and not getting a job, and then having to deal with education debt, and then trying to figure it out. So this generation, you know, observes, as every generation, and so they're much more concerned about their future, uh, a lot of them grown up with shows like Shark Tank. They mm-hmm. see they see people like Mark Cuban. They get very excited about the prospect of entrepreneurism. They see Mark Zuckerberg, right? They see young people creating Ubers and Googles, and saying, you know, I want I want to do that too because you have so much more control. Like any generation, this generation is going to have a lot more technology background, you know. And I think you have to expect that with every generation, they're going to understand the latest and greatest technologies. They're going to understand how to use them uh, more quicker and faster mm-hmm. than the previous generation. And a lot of people describe them as incredibly pragmatic. And a lot of that just has to do with the, um, you know, let's face it, a lot of these younger people have grown up with 
parents, grandparents, and siblings all in the same household just because of the way that the recessionary cycle hit mm-hmm. them and that they're, you know, they're home with grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and siblings and they're realizing and saying to themselves, I don't want to, I don't want to replicate that model. I want, want to be able to be independent. Mm, yeah. Well, I really look forward to what they bring because I have thoroughly enjoyed working with millennials that I've encountered as a radio show host and in the magazine. They strike me as being very conscious, creative, and more entrepreneurial than I remember being in my 20s. In my 20s, which would have been over 20 years ago now, the model was very much graduate from high school, do as well as you can, go to college, get the job. And I'm coming, I'm working with folks in their 20s who are already out on their own as entrepreneurs. It's amazing. (laughs) I love it. It is. It it truly is. And I think it's very inspiring. I hear shows like yours and and other shows of interviewing 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds who are starting businesses, whether it's lemonade businesses or lollipop businesses or technology businesses. Um, And so a lot of it, I think, you know, one, the schools are changing and encouraging community outreach. They're encouraging entrepreneurial aspects. Colleges are changing, teaching entrepreneurism, teaching and, and helping young people, being able to develop it. But also, you know, funding is much more accessible today. You know, crowds, crowdsourcing, funding. There's a lot more ways today that people can actually start their own business. And I really attribute that to technology. You know, you think about Etsy, eBay, Zazzle, all of these electronic marketplaces where people can actually start a business in an hour or two Take international currency, you know, is incredible because that didn't exist 20 years ago when a lot of us were entering the workforce. It was very difficult to start a business or you had to inherit one like the flower shop from your parents, you know, or the dry cleaner. And so today I think the opportunities are more accessible, but they're also much more visible. There's so many role models today that younger people can look at and say, that person yeah. did Uber. I can do that too. And that person's in their twenties. And I, you know, understand mobile technology. I understand supply and demand. I understand solving problems. And that's really what entrepreneurs do: is they solve problems. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good things ahead. Now let's focus a bit more on just Gen Z women. So. Previous generations have had to deal with some gender bias in the first place. If we look at decades ago, for example, things are gradually getting better. So where do you see gender relations now with the workforce? And what do you see in terms of Gen Z women, how they're going to change leadership and gender equality? Yeah, and I think that's a really good question because, again, you know, they're young, and so, you know, many researchers say that this group of women are um, very feeling very confident and empowered. They do not see the gender biases of the previous generations because they're growing up, thanks to their parents, without it. I remember one Gen Z boy wrote that he didn't want to take his sister to a, a, a sports meet And his parents got very angry with him and told him he was biasing against the gender, you know, his sister. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, no, not at all. I didn't even think about that. She's bigger than me and better in sports than me. <laughs> I don't want my little, my little sibling to outdo me in sports. So they don't even see the world the way that their parents do. They see it completely different. And I think that if we can encourage this to continue, this generation of women will bring a lot, a lot of leadership characteristics and attributes to the workforce. At the same time, you know, I hesitate because I hear about things about cyberbullying. I hear about the mm-hmm. uses of social media in a negative way against women, and that's where I'm concerned. Um, that you know, I hope that we can encourage women to, you know, because let's face it, young people are very, you know, the confidence can be broken pretty swiftly when you're young. So I hope yes. that we can encourage these women. Also in the workforce, I encourage leaders. Don't bring your past unconscious biases into the workforce. You know, if, you know and tr- try to keep that in check um, because maybe you did grow up in a gender world. This generation, you know, hasn't. And I give a simple story where my mother was so confused that I did not, as her daughter, understand cooking. I just couldn't grab. I just couldn't grab it, and I could understand cleaning. I can understand organization. I can understand a lot of things, but I just couldn't grab onto cooking, because in her mind she thought it was a gender gene, you know, mm. that women were supposed to cook well. And I laugh with her now today and say, you see, it's really a skill, and that was just one skill that I just did not grasp very well. But other ones, like perhaps you did. But we have to remember that we're not born with these gender genes that tell us that you cook well or that you're better at repairing a car because you're a boy. We have to, you know, really normalize the playing field so that both boys and girls can really excel to the full potential. Right. Excellent points. Now, how can parents and educators really help this generation as they're being educated now reach this full potential that you're talking about? Well, one is, you know, I think we have to instill confidence in our younger generation, both men and women, but particularly the young girls, because, you know, I think that, you know, we have to, I really want to help push our young women ahead. And you can do that by encouraging healthy risk-taking. And there have been a number of studies done on that, on, you know, how do we encourage young women to to take healthy risk-taking and encourage them into STEM, encourage them into sports. And STEM, by the way, is science, technology, engineering, and math programs. A lot of times, you know, parents hesitate in pushing their daughters into sports. Fortunately, that's changed. They hesitate in encouraging them into engineering and technology, and that is changing as well. And they hesitate on teaching them about finances and entrepreneurism. And I think these are all things that young, young men and women need to learn because we live in a digital world. There's more likely that they will be entrepreneurs or they will be um, needing to really think through their careers in a different way than in the past, um, becoming independent and technical. And I think we have to make sure, even if we don't understand it as parents, that we really need to encourage it. And as educators, bring it into the classroom. Yes. Yes. I, uh, prior to becoming more entrepreneurial in the health and wellness field, I was an engineer. And I have to say that going through school, middle school and high school in the 70s and 80s, as I did, uh, I generally felt encouraged by my teachers. And then when I went to college, I also was quite encouraged by my professors to continue on, go to grad school. So hopefully things are really improving in that regard. Though I have to say, it was very much my choice 
to become an engineer and women were still in the minority at that point in terms of uh, the numbers of us in engineering school. And I do have to say that it was a wonderful career. Uh, I was able to live very independently and very well. It afforded me um, a lot of opportunities. So I would very much encourage any girl out there who is curious about nature and curious about technology to really consider such a field. Um, I, I can't emphasize it enough. Now, yes, and I would agree with you because it's all about role models like yourself, introducing young people to inspirational role models like yourself with engineering career paths, media career paths, doing things that they could get really excited about and seeing, you know, a female in that role. So that's that's exciting. Yeah, thank you. And you mentioned role models. So what would what do you think, who do you think are great role models for young people these days? Well, for me, I look, I look to the business world and I look to um, the leadership there. You know, I live in Silicon Valley, so I look at, you know, the Meg Whitmans, the Sheryl Sandberg, yes. you, know, the, you know, the Marissa Myers, the people who are, you know, leading technology firms today because, you know, I get very inspired by them, particularly when I see young entrepreneurs starting. So there might be names that, that people don't know, but I get very excited when I see young women and, and men, but mostly I look to women to see that they're doing something completely unique and different. And that, to me, is, you know, in, inspiring. I tell educators, you know, bring them into your classroom. Mm. Whether you can bring, you know, a role model. Someone of the same age is even more exciting for kids because if they can see someone in their own age bracket doing incredible things, they'll be more likely to want to adopt, you know, their best practices. Parents, you know, set up your kids on play dates with inspiring, um, you know, in- inspiring people, you know, and-, and students who are doing exciting things. But also don't forget about technology. You can Skype in, you can um, use Facebook Live, you can have um, Twitter, Twitter um, programs where you can bring in people to help your students understand the possibilities because the jobs that are available today will be, there will be, in tri- you know, multiple more tomorrow, things that we haven't even defined yet. Yes. And the only the way that we can get visibility is really talking about the people who are pioneering in, in these new companies. Well, these were some really wonderful insights today, Dr. Weiland. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us. That's about all the time that we have. But I really enjoyed this discussion and really enjoyed how you're teaching us how to control our careers and how to nurture the next generation. So thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to follow Jen R. Holistic Media on Facebook and check out all the great articles in Regenerate Magazine at RegenerateMagazine.com, all about health, wellness, managing your career, your life, your health. It's all important. And we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Hope you can join us. Thanks again for stopping by today. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Please join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. In the coming week, think of the changes that you could make to regenerate your body, mind, and spirit.